Hello, and welcome to From Russia with News, a weekly news and analysis podcast brought to you by the Moscow Times. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Millions of citizens of Russia are united by the Olympic dream. I view the Russians as a far greatest challenge that we have. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. A unique country, not bad, not bad at all. My name is Jonathan Braun, and I'm an editor based in our newsroom here in central Moscow. This week on the program... Reports of a renewed and punitive crackdown on the gay community in Chechnya have shocked the international community. But why have these reports flared now? And is Vladimir Putin going to do anything to reel in the rogue leader of the region, Ramzan Kadyrov? The security people who did it, they knew very well that these are legitimate targets in the Chechen Republic. You can easily target LGBT community, that this is not at all uh, punishable. But on the contrary, this will be seen as a as an act of purifying the nation, as something positive and, and good. We'll be discussing this with Katya Sakaryanskaya, an expert on the North Caucasus. And later... New Year celebrations in Russia were mired by tragedy when part of an apartment building collapsed in Magnitogorsk after a gas explosion. The incident, and at least one other in the days following, has raised questions about Soviet-era infrastructure and government negligence. The bulk of the houses produced in the 70s, 60s and 70s is already past its lifespan. Maxim Trudolubov will be on the line to tell us what the authorities should be doing to patch up the country. First up, in 2017, the investigative newspaper Novaya Gazeta reported that gay men in the North Caucasus Republic of Chechnya were being rounded up, detained, and killed. At the time, the leader of the republic, Ramzan Kadyrov, dismissed the allegations, saying that there were no gay people in Chechnya. Now, reports are resurfacing of an even harsher crackdown, with detainees being tortured with knives and having their travel documents destroyed so they can't flee the country. Joining us on the line is Katya Sakaryanskaya, director of the Conflict Analysis and Prevention Center, who has written extensively about the region, including for the Moscow Times. Katya, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me. So tell us, why do you think uh, reports of this crackdown are resurfacing now? I think it's a combination of coincidence and a kind of political statement that the Chechen authorities are trying to make. From what I understand uh, from, from sources on the ground is that this current series of um, arrests or detentions, detentions because these are illegal actions, uh, started after detaining one a uh, man who happened to be the administrator of one of the closed groups on social media uh, used by gay people. And through his telephone, um, the security people got access to a large number of contacts, um, dozens of people who were um, in, in his contact list. And they went through these contacts and they started to arrest, detain others. So this basically was this this trigger of this new purge. Um, at the same time, this happened because the security people who did it, they knew very well that these are legitimate targets in the Chechen Republic. You can easily target LGBT community, that this is not at all uh, punishable, but on the contrary, this will be seen as a as an act of purifying the nation, as something positive and, and good. Uh, and the Chechen authorities, who I'm sure have learned very quickly about 
this happening because they control the republic uh, very well. They know all the important things that are developing. So they decided to let it go at least, or maybe to even support it, because I think they're trying to make a statement to the outside world that they don't care about international reports, OEC expressing concern or urging the Moscow mechanism about sanctions. They will continue doing what they think they or they want to do with full impunity. And we've been hearing reports about this particular crackdown, that um, the detention and ten- and and that the detention and interrogation techniques are more brutal than before. Um, how have security services in Chechnya changed their approach to the crackdown? And why do you think that is? Um, I think the the treatment, the inhuman treatment itself is pretty much the same. It was absolutely mind-boggling last time as well. Uh, it's just that the security services are taking extra measures to make sure uh, no evidence is collected, no uh, hard evidence is collected to legally act on, on these crimes. They, I don't think they care about media reactions when there are, you know, which they, they refute and call them speculations. But once somebody flees and has evidence of torture, provides testimony, and then a legal case can be started, this is something they're trying to prevent. That That's why they... Um, try to make sure that these people can't leave the Chechen Republic. They either withdraw their documents or they threaten their their travel documents or they uh, threaten um, collective punishment, which is very broadly used in Chechnya. They basically threaten that they will take their closest relatives and and badly mistreat them. And everybody in Chechnya knows that this has been a practice for 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 a decade, for more than a decade, so that this is real. That if they flee, they can take their father, cousin, brother, and and be torture them and and whatnot. And then people feel like you know, okay, it's it's me who created the problem, so mm. to speak. So I should bear the responsibility the consequences. And how is this? How is news of the crackdown being met in in Chechnya and in Russia more more broadly? Is Putin calling for an investigation? Are opposition leaders speaking out? I haven't heard any federal officials speaking and commenting on this situation. And even in the last gay purge uh, last spring, or it started as well in the winter one year ago, but the news broke out in April, Mm -hmm. and it was a huge international outcry. But the Russian federal authorities were were very reluctant to actually comment and they said they are not aware and they're going to check. So we didn't hear any strong statements about this. Uh, and it seems that the fact that this is continuing in Chechnya means that the Chechen authorities have never received strong enough message from the federal center that they can't do it anymore. Because the federal center, when they want to, they introduce very strong red lines for Kadyrov regime. So this is not their red line. This is very clear. As to Chechen authorities, they react very quickly and as always by refuting it completely, saying that this, um, this spokesperson of the uh, the Minister for, for Information of Chechnya said that this is a fantasy of the LGBT community mm. you know, and there's only one orientation of Chechen men uh, and uh, this can be proven by their high birth rate, something like that. So he's he's joking about it, he's kind of um, refuting it in a very ironic way. 
To what extent are women being targeted in the crackdown as well? This is a difference compared to last year because last year these were mainly men. And now we hear um, from various sources that women are targeted as well and subjected to torture, that, that we get some allegations about this, which is really worrying. So, yes, they're targeted to a significant extent this time. How do you see this playing out more broadly? Is 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 Putin at any point likely to draw a red line like 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 one that you were referring to previously? Is there any point at which he will say enough is enough? Um, it depends on the international reaction that we get now. Last time there was a absolutely unprecedented uh, reaction. Nearly every newspaper in the Western world, at least, wrote about it. And there was a lot, there were concerns expressed by heads of the state and by international organizations. And this helped to stop the massive purge. Some detentions continued. It's not that it stopped altogether. Some detentions continued. Uh, Putin invited Kadyrov to Kremlin. And um, clearly, uh, at that time, this international pressure helped uh, to stop um, large-scale detentions. This time, if we are going to get a similar reaction, hopefully we can again um, stop this campaign. But unfortunately, I am very pessimistic about uh, the Kremlin wishing and to make their stop the practice altogether. Ultimately, he's acting with impunity. He acts with impunity since he came to power in 2007. And uh, this impunity, this purge is about gay people now, but he's been carrying out similar, most egregious human rights campaigns against other categories of people. Uh, for example, relatives of suspected fighters or critics, and never journalists, human rights defenders, and never the Kremlin intervened to stop this. And therefore, it continues now, and it came to gay people at this time, after 10 years of targeting other groups. Katya, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. First, it was a gas explosion in Magnitogorsk on New Year's Eve, which claimed 39 lives. Then, one week later, there was another explosion in another apartment complex in the Rostov region, which claimed five more lives. 2019 has begun with a series of stark reminders that millions of Russians are living with aging Soviet infrastructure that the authorities are struggling to keep safe. Joining us on the line is Max Trudelubov, a senior advisor at the Kennan Institute and editor-at-large of the Vietnamese newspaper. Max, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. So, Max, should Russians be worried about the shape of their houses, that they're going to collapse? What exactly is the scale of, of the issue here? Well, uh, most of the Russian housing uh, has to do, the origins of, of Russia's mass housing have to do with uh, the Soviet Union's program of, uh, of uh, building of construction, of mass construction that started in the late 50s. Uh, It started because at the time uh, the housing crisis reached uh, enormous proportions, simply uh, impossible to live like this. And um, the 
the, the, they were looking for a solution of some kind. And um, the solution presented itself in the form of uh, prefabricated housing that was partly developed locally in the, by Soviet engineers, partly uh, borrowed uh, from the West. So the scale of construction was, uh, it, you couldn't compare it to anything, basically. So most of the housing that stands in now in today's Russia, and not just Russia, but um, all the countries that used to be parts of the Soviet Union, all this housing uh, was mainly it's like the bulk of it, the huge, huge part of it, by some estimates, about half of it, was built in the 60s and the 70s. So conservative estimate would be that half of the population of Russia lives in these kinds of houses. Uh, I actually think more, but this is a conservative uh, estimate. And uh, what this means is that the bulk of the houses produced in the 70s, 60s and 70s is already past its lifespan. Official lifespan was meant to be 50 years for many of those designs. Decades later, now, are we in a position where we should be worried about about the, the state of this infrastructure? Yes, yes, we are. Uh, and... Um, uh, the basic issue is that um, they basically need constant, constant maintenance. And it has always, always lagged behind. Uh, there is this estimate from the Ohio School of Economics. They had this report back in, uh, uh, I think, 2012. And they were saying that the cumulative uh, investment uh, that needed uh, to be done uh, in these to, to maintain the, uh, the housing... Uh, is in trillions of, of rubles and basically amounts to something like 30% of uh, Russia's GDP right now. It's wow. a huge, enormous amount that is impossible, uh, even to, you know, it's unthinkable. So yes, it's a huge, huge issue. Is there anything to suggest that the, that the government is now beginning to address these issues? Since de- dis- demonstrably, uh, this... this uh, this era, this ilk of infrastructure is is experiencing problems and in some cases literally crumbling. One solution, of course, is to uh, to equip them with uh, electric uh, electric heating and electric um, electric ovens. This is one solution, but it's um, it's expensive and gas is cheaper and people are used to that. So, and again, the the scale of the issue. And some cities are doing, you know, uh, are, they have their own programs of renovation, of uh, changing the utilities, changing the, uh, the um, equipment in these houses. But it's very, very uneven. In a recent column, you wrote that uh, the real challenge to anyone who governs or who will be governing Russia is the state of the housing stock specifically. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Why, why to you that it's the, the, the central issue facing uh, Russian government governance in the years to come? The Kremlin is, of course, is aware of this huge, huge housing issue that uh, the country is facing. Uh, but um, it's difficult to just say, you know, we have this. And you, you basically have to reorient. You have to... Uh, you have to make it, put it in the, at, the, at the center of your attention. 
focus on it. But it's not a sexy issue. It's a decidedly unsexy issue. Uh, it's something that, um, you know, it's not nice. All these buildings are, well, basically ugly. And people, many people don't like them. And uh, uh, the very talk about it, you know, it, you don't have ways of making it nice and interesting, right? Although it concerns literally almost everyone in the country. But um, uh, if you say... You know, if if let's say it's a it's an act of terror, it's an explosion caused by an enemy. It's a very different story. Then you basically focus on fighting enemies, and uh, the Russian government, especially the Kremlin, has uh, vast experience in using uh, disasters like this uh, to basically roll the nation around the flag and also, uh, and, and uh, put it at the center of its political attention. So basically, uh, I think that um, uh, the difficult, difficult choice that uh, the Kremlin, uh, Vladimir Putin personally is facing right now is, is trying to, uh, to choose between these two causes. Uh, um, call, it, call it a terrorist act, or call it uh, an explosion uh, caused by a gas leak. And these are very two, two very, very different paths that you will have to take. Do you think the Kremlin in its current form is up to the task of maintaining or repairing this building stock? Well, they, do, they actually do have resources. They do have expertise. Russia is a, is a large country and there are lots of smart and educated people. But... Um, uh, as a political structure, as a, as a uh, as politicians and uh, Vladimir Putin in, included, uh, the Kremlin, um, you know, they know how to be, you know, how to fight enemies. Uh, they uh, they know how to do that. They know how to use media to rally people around the flag. They know, but they don't know how to be. Um, you know, these boring, uh, boring administrative uh, bureaucrats who are basically doing um, a reno- a renovation work. Hmm. This is essentially something that the, gov- the government, not the government, has to, uh, has to do. But um, it um, still has to be uh, put, you know, center stage. It's something that has to be the focus. And... Uh, as I say, it's decidedly, uh, you know, not fashionable, unsexy. You don't know how to uh, to deal with it because, uh, you know, what you start talking about on television, people will switch it off and stop watching it. Okay, Max, thanks very much for, uh, for taking the time to speak with us today. Sure, thank you. Okay, okay. And to finish off, in St. Petersburg, you never know who or what you might meet in a dark alley at night. This week, though, animal rights activists made headlines after they spotted an abandoned lioness roaming the city. Villes, which is a private animal shelter, has agreed to adopt the lioness named Simona after they crowdfunded the costs to care for the animal. Activists told local reporters that Simona would be in good company. Apparently, they already have one lioness, and the two would become fast friends. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes. 
I'm Jonathan Brown. Our producer today was Pyotr Sauer. And thank you to CM Records Studios in Moscow for hosting the show. Join us next week on From Russia with News. Thank you.